He's all we need. And uh, there's plenty of him to go around. We just have to want him. Just have to have a desire for him. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn with me for just a few minutes, if you will, uh, to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter number 18. And uh, we're going to look at one verse there, and I'm going to give you some some thoughts from that verse about how to, to, to get some benefit or blessing uh, out of life's difficulties. Life is tough, isn't it? It's full of difficulties. It's full of ups and downs. Uh, you could use any different words you want to for it. Problems, trials, troubles, tribulations, adversities, you know, bumps, humps, potholes in the road. What, however you want to describe it, life sometimes can be frustrating. And uh, if we're not careful, it can get the best of us. Uh, but, but God's desire is, is always to form me and not to foil me. God's desire is to form me. He wants to shape me into something, uh, not, not ruin me or, or break me uh, or, or make me, you know, unusable, but God's desire is to form me into something. I'll give you some verses you can write down and go back and look at that have to do with that. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says that if he began a good work in this, he'll perform it. He'll perform it. He'll continue that good work in us. And then Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 talks about the work of God in our life. Then Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, talk about God's desire for our life, what, what he wants for us. There's sometimes in life, Things just seem too difficult. They just seem overwhelming. Like we can't bear up under them. We want out from under the pressure. And uh, I, I, when I read through the Bible, I sometimes I'll pick up on words or phrases and, uh, that kind of stand out to me and look into those things. And there's a, there's a phrase in the Bible uh, uh, that says this, It is enough. It is enough. That phrase is used 13 different times in the Bible. I'm going to point out two or three of them to you, and, and then we're going to look here in Jeremiah chapter 18. Second Samuel 24 and verse 16, and First Chronicles 21 and verse 15. Those are uh, the same. They're, they're different verses, but it's God's giving us two separate accounts of the same event. And God's judging his people, and the angel of the Lord is bringing judgment against God's people. And God tells the angel of the Lord uh, that's bringing that judgment, he, he tells him to stay his hand. He said, it is enough. It's been enough punishment. Uh, you need to let up. And then in Exodus chapter 9, in verse number 28, God's putting pressure on Pharaoh. You know, the plagues there in Exodus so that God's people can come out of the land of Egypt and be free and not be in bondage anymore. God's putting pressure on Pharaoh and one of those plagues. Uh, Pharaoh uh, is before Moses, or Moses is before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh uses that phrase. He says, go and tell your God it is enough. 
he's done enough to me. I'm through. God had put pressure on him, and he tells Moses, tell God it's enough. And then another one I, I want you to jot down, and maybe you go back and look at later, is 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 4. Now, you know, if you know the story of Elijah, chapter 18 is a great chapter in Scripture. You know, Elijah calls fire down from heaven, you know, and burns up the wet wood and the wet altars. They just cover everything with water, and he calls fire down from heaven, and God does a miracle. And, I mean, it's just a big chapter, chapter 18 is. A lot happens. I mean, God is really showing out in Elijah's life in chapter 18. Uh, and then you get to chapter 19, and in verse number 4, Elijah's over there under the tree, and he's belly aching and whining and complaining, telling God that he's the only one left, there ain't nobody else, and he tells God, God, all this pressure you've put on me, it is enough. I can't stand anymore. You've left me out here all alone, all by myself. I'm the only one preaching. I'm the only one doing, I mean, that's how he felt. And he tells God, it's enough. There's times in life when it feels like that. We get to that place in life, we feel the same way. We just want to tell God, it's enough, Lord, I can't take any more. I was reading through the Psalms, and Lord willing, we may look at it tonight. Uh, but uh, Psalm uh, 88 is the saddest psalm in the whole Bible. It's the saddest portion of Scripture in the whole Bible. There's not one positive thing in, in all of the verses in Psalm 88. And the very last word that the, that psalm ends up with darkness. It's just, there's nothing good in it. There's times in life when it just seems like there's nothing good, doesn't there? When we're just overwhelmed. They got this thing, uh, nowadays we have to label everything. It's got to have a name. Used to be, you know, it was just sin. Or, or it was some kind of disease or, you know, a problem. But now everything's got to have a name. So they've come up with a name uh, of something now. Uh, we know uh, it's called chronic fatigue syndrome. I, I've had that ever since I was a kid, I think. <laughs> I mean, you know, you get out. When we as kids, we didn't have these fancy zero-turn riding lawnmowers. We had a zero-turn push mower. You push it, and you stand right where you're at, and zero, turn it right around, and push it back the other way. You know? So chronic fatigue, I mean, that we understand what that is, don't we? We just get wore out. We get tired. Not just physically, but we get tired mentally, don't we? We get tired of worrying. We get tired of just all the problems of life. It just seems like it gets worse and worse. I mean, you, you got grandparents now that should be able to to, to live their years in, in just quiet enjoyment for all the labor that they've had, you know, go on a vacation, take a trip, do whatever. But you got grandparents now that are having to raise their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. And only, I'm not, y'all know, I've been here long enough now, y'all know I don't hold nothing back. But that's just plumb sorry. When, when these people out there that, that won't get their self straight enough and right enough, that their mamas and daddies has got to raise their kids. 
And then not only that, but they got to raise their grandkids, their great-grandkids. If that second generation turns out so sorry that they can't even raise their own kids. Now grandma and grandpa's having to raise two sets. There's just time in life when we just get wore out. We get tired. Life's not fun. We just so constant something to worry about, something to think about, something to do. Well, let me tell you, there are no quick fixes. There are no quick fixes in this thing we call life. There's just one, and that's God. He's all sufficient. He's all we need. And the more we know of him, the more we have of him, the more time we spend with him, the less we worry, the less stressed we are, the less fatigued we are, the better off we are. Why? Because we know who holds tomorrow. We know who's got the future. We know who's got the answer. We know who's going to straighten it up. Because I'm going to tell you, you spend your whole life trying, and you never get it done. You'll never get it done. But when you start trusting in him, when you start relying upon him, when you start letting go and, and quit trying to manipulate things and work things out your own self and let God do what it is that God wants to do, life will change. So there is no quick fix other than just God himself and the right relationship with him. Let me, let me read you a couple of scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 10. The Bible says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. How are you going to get settled and strengthened and established in life? You're going to suffer a little while. After you suffer a little while, God said he'll settle things down. He'll get you where he wants you to be, and life will be better. We have to, to quit trying. See, the problem sometimes is we, we want to get out from under the pressure that God is putting us under. God's got us there for a reason. We don't want that reason. We don't want uh, what it is that God wants, and we want to get out from under the pressure. That's all we care about. We should care more about becoming who God wants us to be than, than getting out from under the, the pain and the process and the pressure of it. Because that's what makes us. That's what turns us into what he wants us to be. The only hope we have is in him. The only help we have is in him. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 11 and verse 28. This is a verse a lot of people know and, and, and they, they, they quote, but we leave some of it out. Matthew 11 and verse 28 says, and, uh, and say unto him, By what authority? That's the wrong verse. I wrote that down wrong. Maybe it's 10. Oh, you know what it is? I didn't bring my glasses. <laughs> and that's Mark 11, 28 I'm trying to read in. It won't read the same as Matthew 11 and verse 28. I might have to come borrow somebody's glasses. No, I, I'll make it. I get in too big a hurry. Matthew, I, see, it's this whole thing of dinner. Because there's food over there, I get in a hurry, and I, I you know, I mess myself up. Uh, so, 
Matthew 11 and verse 28, Jesus says this, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We tend to focus on the <clears throat> I'll give you rest part of that verse. And Jesus does say that we're to come to him, but there's some qualifiers in the middle of that, aren't there? He says, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. Sometimes uh, the problems in life don't come from our labor and our burden. The problems in life come from us not paying attention and us not being obedient, us not, you know, looking at God's word and trusting what God's word says. In Jeremiah chapter 18, where you are there, that's how uh, Israel got into the problem that they're in. And, and there's so much uh, to all that. I mean, there's just there's so much in the Bible we couldn't ever get it all done if we just preached and teached and taught and had class all the time. Um, but in, in chapter 18, you got to understand, he's been after Israel. He's been on them, been on their case because they don't do things right. They don't listen. They don't obey his commandments. So here he gives an illustration in chapter 18. He's speaking to Jeremiah. He said, The word which came, verse 1, to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. So he's telling Jeremiah, Go down there, and I'm going to teach you something. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Now, I want to focus on one phrase. There's two or three things we could talk about in verse 4, but just one phrase right there in the center. He says, so he made it again. So he made it again. I told you the thought for today was how to, how to get benefit or how to get blessings out of the difficulties of life. Sometimes, like I said, the problems in life come because we disobey. We're disobedient. And even though we're forgiven, God forgives us of our sins, and we can have eternal life through a relationship with Jesus Christ, that does not exempt us from the consequences of our actions. My my three boys could come to me and confess something they did, even though I might not have known about it. They could come confess it, thinking, boy, if we just go tell Daddy, everything will be all right. They could come confess it to me, and I could forgive them for doing it, and they still be my children. But you know what? There's probably still going to be some consequences for them actions. It's the same way with God. Sometimes the problems and the difficulties in life are our own fault. But sometimes God allows things or orchestrates things in our life to put pressure on us because he wants us to change or, or, or to move in a different area. He, he wants us to be more like him, closer to him. There's something about us that he's working on and he wants to change or perfect in our life. So he allows things to come into our life to shape us, to form us, remember? He wants to form me, not foil me. He doesn't want to destroy me. He doesn't want to tear me up. He wants to form me into what he wants me to be. 
And why shouldn't he be able to do that? I mean, we, the Bible says that we're not our own, are we? We're bought with a price. If we're his children, if you belong to the Lord, if you are a Christian today, then your life is not yours. It does not belong to you. It belongs to him. And since he's the potter and we're the clay, why should he not be able to squeeze us and mold us and shape us into what he wants us to be? We don't get to be what we want to be. I've, you know, I've been working on that my whole life, and I'm, I'm about this close to finally working it out to be what I want to be without God's help. Because I heard last night there's two churches down in South Alabama. There's one in Florala, and there's one in, where's your, Fairhope, Foley, Foley. There's one in Florala, and there's one in Foley. And, and there are churches that don't have pastors right now. And they need somebody that can be bivocational because, you know, they can't support a pastor. So I finally figured out how I could do what I want to do. I can go down there and pastor the church on Sunday, and I can have a charter boat and lead fishing crews Monday through Saturday. And me and God will both be happy. If that didn't work out, that would probably be that one in Foley. If that didn't work out, I could go to that one over there in Florala because then I could preach on Sundays and I could have a private hunting camp the rest of the week. And we'd go hunting and people pay big money to go hunting. You see? But it's not up to me, is it? I mean, that would be, we'd laugh. and just, that we, That's us trying to work out a situation, isn't it? But if God's not doing that, if God's not in it, then you don't want any part of it. It's just going to be problems. And he's going to have to keep squeezing, and he's going to have to put the pressure on. He's going to have to keep doing more so that he can get us formed into what he wants us to be. I mean, he, he says right there, he, he said, I'm the one that made it. to start. I made it to start with. And if I don't like the way I made it to start with, then it's my prerogative. I can mar it. That means ruined, messed up. I can mess it up if I want to and start over again with it. Sometimes in life, we mess ourselves up because we make unwise choices and wrong decisions. And sometimes God messes us up. Why? Because even though we might be serving him, and we might be in what we could, would consider to be his will. Maybe we're, you know, doing all the Christian type things. God knows what's in our heart. And he says, you got it all right on the outside, but you got it wrong on the inside. And he squeezes and puts pressure a little bit harder. And he ruins the outside so he can get the inside in the right place. He said, it's my prerogative. I can do that if I choose to. And it's okay because I'm God. I made it to start with. But I love that little phrase. So he made it again. Even though he might mess it up. Even though he might squeeze it. You know they talk about you, you, when you, once you squeeze that toothpaste out of the tube you can't ever get it back in there. Let me tell you something. God can. God can remake things. He can redo things. That's what he says right here. He says, so he made it again, another vessel as seemed good 
to the potter to make it. God can do something in your life. And he wants to do something in your life. Even in the midst of the problems, even when you think it's all going wrong, God can still do something wonderful in your life and make your life better. Let me give you these five benefits, five benefits that you can get from life's difficulties. Five benefits from life's difficulties. Number one, you can have the benefit of new insight from Scripture. When life gets difficult, sometimes we don't have anywhere else to go but to God's Word, do we? That should be the first place we go, whether it's a good day or a bad day. If we learn to go there first, if we learn to get up and start with the Lord, then our days would be different. Psalm 119, verse 71 says this, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The psalmist said, it, It's good for me that God has done this to me, so that I can learn God's way. You may have your idea for what your plan in life is, but God's got a plan for your life. He knew you were before you were ever born. He told Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. I knew who you were going to be. I'd called you and ordained you to be a prophet before you was ever formed in your mother's womb. God's got a plan for you. And when you realize that God's plan starts in his word and you begin in his word and you give time to his word, then God can fulfill his purposes in your life because we learn who he, of who he is and what he wants. Jesus said this in Matthew 4 and verse 4. The devil was offering all the world to Jesus. And Jesus said this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I, I, I like a lot of things. But the scripture is more important than anything. He said, you, you're not going to live by just what, you, what can sustain your physical body. He said, you've got to have the spiritual and when our spiritual man is weak, when our spiritual man is fatigued, when our spiritual uh, man is emotionally distraught and, and down, then you know what? We need to be in God's Word. Because that's what gives us strength. That's what builds us as God's people. So benefit, benefit from a new insight into Scripture. Learn to be in God's Word. And then the second benefit, from life's difficulties is this. We have the benefit of self-examination. Self-examination. Turn over there. You're in Jeremiah. Just turn over backwards a few pages to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a great psalm. Uh, the whole gist of it is that you, there's not anywhere you can go to hide from God. You, you, you can't get away from him. But listen to what he says in the last part uh, of the psalm. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. When we're going through difficult times. When we're going through uh, problems and things in life. We have the benefit of of examining our own self. God, search me. Is there something in me that may be causing this? Is there, 
Is there a place that I'm not wholly yours? Is there a place that I'm holding back? Is there something I'm not surrendering to you? All kind of different questions we can ask ourselves, but that's where we need to focus is on ourselves. You know what? A lot of problems in, in, church, in the church world, in, in local churches all across this country and all around the world, a lot of problems could be solved if we quit worrying about our neighbor. If we just exercise the benefit of self-examination. You may be going through a problem not because of somebody else, but because of you. And it may be you that God's trying to get their attention. So what we have to do is take the opportunity that God gives us and ask him to search us. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, the Bible says that we're not to think highly of ourselves, but to think soberly of ourselves. Be honest. You can lie to yourself, but God knows who you are. God knows your, your, your hang-ups and your habits. God knows your difficulties in life. God knows what you have a problem with. And as soon as you begin to admit that, then God can help you. God can help make you and mold you into who he wants you to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 and 32 says, If we would judge ourselves, if we would judge ourselves, then we would not be judged. So it has to start with me looking at me and me taking care of that fellow that I have to shave in the mirror every morning. And when I do that, when I take care of that fella, then everything else will work itself out. Everybody knows the greatness of uh, David's sin. David, in Psalm 51, we find David's uh, prayer and his confession and he said, I have sinned. He said, I have sinned. He didn't blame it on Bathsheba. He didn't blame it on Uriah. He didn't blame it on the prophet. He didn't blame it on the men. He didn't blame it on the fact that he was tired and stayed at home when he should have been out. About. He just said, God, I've sinned. You know what? Most Christians, we, our lives would change if we just learned to own our own sin. And not try to blame it on somebody else. God, it's me. Isaiah said this, chapter 6. He said, woe is me. Woe is me. So use the benefit of self-examination during times of difficulty. Let that be a blessing in your life. Let God examine you. And then the third thing. We can benefit uh, from more grace. More grace. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you know the story there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, uh, Paul prayed for God to take away that thorn, that problem. And God says, no, he said, but my grace is sufficient. That means, Paul, I have grace enough. Sufficient means enough. Not too little, not too much sufficient enough you know they say too much of a good thing is still a good thing well that's not true is it it looks good on a t-shirt sounds good if we're at the beach but too much of a good thing is still what too much even if it is a good thing i remember a fellow telling the story about his 
mom and daddy when he was growing up uh, she'd come home with groceries and she'd have 20 pounds of hamburger meat and them struggling to get by you know can't hardly keep the bills paid and she'd come home with 20 extra pounds of hamburger meat and he'd say so and so he called her woman from the story I got woman why'd you buy so much hamburger meat and this is her answer well it was on sale and his response was, it don't matter if it's on sale. We didn't need it. Too much of a good thing is not always a good thing, see? God said his grace is sufficient. It's just enough. But you know, there's sometimes we might need more grace, isn't there? And you don't get grace till you need grace. Have you ever thought of that? You ever, you ever looked at somebody else and thought, my soul, I don't know how in the world they're going through that. You ever thought that? I don't know how they're going. Because you don't get that grace till you need that grace. You, you don't get it till you need it. But God says that his grace is sufficient. And I want you to turn over to James. Turn over to James chapter 4. We're, I only got five, so we're almost done. Dinner's not going to get cold. James chapter 4. Sometimes we just quote a verse. But sometimes we need to hear everything around that verse. That's why I want you to turn there. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members now he's not talking about a collective body of people he's talking about an individual our problems come where from our own lust from the things that we battle inside of ourselves, day in and day out that's where trouble comes from he said you lust and have not you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain you fight and war yet you have not because you ask not you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. In other words, we don't ask right because we're more worried about what we want than what God wants. We're being selfish. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. James just cuts it straight, doesn't he? He said, if you want the things of the world and you want to hobnob and run around with the world's crowd and the world's people, he said, you can forget the blessings of God. But if you want the things of God and the blessings of God, you cannot be the friend of the world. Do you think, verse 5, that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth, what is the next word? More grace. That means there's extra. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What is he saying? He's saying, get in one mind, get in the same mind as God, get, get where God is, and, and submit yourself to God. You don't even have to worry about the devil. Just resist him, he'll leave. Don't even give him any attention. But submit yourself to the Lord. The key to all of it is at the end of verse 6. Unto the humble. Unto the humble. That goes back to owning our sin. Seeing who we are. 
using the benefit of the problem or, or the adversity or the struggle in life to see who we really are and realize that God is our creator. He does make us and he does sustain us. We learn that from his word. We learn that when we look at ourselves for who we are and then we can benefit from more of God's grace because he says when we humble ourselves before him, he'll give us more grace. You can't ever have enough of God's grace. Never. Never enough of it. In, in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, matter of fact, verse 16, he said, let us come therefore boldly unto the throne that we might what? Obtain mercy. That's what we, we leave mercy out a lot of times. But we could never have God's grace if we didn't first have his mercy. Because mercy is not getting what we deserve. And we all deserve hell. But by the fact that it's like the illustration of the angel in 1 Samuel and in Chronicles where God said, it is enough, he extended mercy. And God said, it's enough to us. And he extends mercy. And he doesn't kick us off the edge of the world and send us into hell, but then he bestows grace upon us. He said, come that you may come into the throne room of God that you may obtain mercy. It's here, it's waiting, come get it. And then he says, and find mercy. Grace. Mercy, you can't, you can't make it without that. But once I extend that mercy to you, once you come and obtain that mercy that's here, it's waiting on you, you know what? I got some grace for you. I got some things over here for you that you don't know anything about. I'm going to bestow some good on you that you don't even know anything about. And the way you get more of that good is to humble yourself before the Lord. I'm not twisting scripture. I'm just telling you what it says. When we get humble before him, when we see ourselves for who we are, and we see him for who he is, and we get bowed down low at his feet, just like Isaiah when he said, Woe is me. When we see him high and holy, and we get low and lowly, God will dump a wagon load of grace on top of us. Amen. What's more exciting than God's amazing grace? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Use the opportunity of, of, of the trials and the distractions and the difficulties in life to benefit from more grace from God. Get down and get real with God and then find the rest that you need at his throne of grace. Number four, number four, get the benefit, get the benefit of unifying the family. The benefit of unifying the family. Ephesians 5 and 6, just write those down, two chapters, Ephesians 5 and 6. Sometimes when we're going through difficulties and hard places, we go through problems in life, we can, we can have the blessing or the benefit of our family coming together. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about your family. A lot of families have difficulties. A lot of families have problems. They don't speak to each other a lot. They, they don't talk to each other. Hadn't, hadn't seen each other for years. But what can happen in, a, in, in bring a family together? Tragedy brings a family together, doesn't it? I, I'm, it's a blessing to have Brother Dennis here. I've worked and served with him for several years over there at the funeral home and being in the ministry and being a pastor, you see it the same way. Difficulties 
and, 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 and the loss of a loved one will do two things in a family. It'll either bring it together or it'll split it wide open. But as God's people, we have the opportunity. He's given us, and you read it in Ephesians 5 and 6. He talks about husbands, wives, children, and even servants. Does the same in Titus. Gives instruction for those things. And when problems and difficulties come in life, we have the benefit or the opportunity of putting a family back together, of unifying a family. Because why is all that little stuff, why do we let it become so important? Why do we let it get to the place that it separates us from those that we should love, those that we should care the most about? I know life's hard. I know it's full of problems, and you can't always overcome them all. But we should always be at the place where no matter what we think, when that phone rings and it's family, we're going to be there to help. Doesn't matter how many times they've wronged you, done you this way or done you that way. Whether I got people in my family I wouldn't even claim. I'd lie and swear that's part of somebody else's family. But if they called me, I'd go. I'd be the first one there to see what I could do to help be a blessing to them and see if maybe the Lord couldn't do something to help and change whatever situation is going on in their world and in their life. God made the family first, and if family's not right, nothing else is going to be right. You got problems at home, you'll have problems at church, you'll have problems at work, you'll have problems at school, you'll have pro wherever you go, you'll have problems if you got problems at home unify the family and then the last thing we can have the benefit of unifying the body the benefit of unifying the body the blessing of unifying God's people together in Acts chapter 2 the Bible is very clear they, they were all together and in agreement the Bible says they were in one accord and as you go through the book of Acts, as you travel through the book of Acts, and you look at the different churches, the different local assemblies, and the body as a whole, they suffered persecution, they suffered difficulties, they suffered problems, but they used those difficulties, and they used those problems, and they used the persecution to bond them and to bind them stronger together, not to separate them, and not to splinter and faction them. Even when Paul and Peter got in their little trifle over, you know, Judaism and, and Peter trying to make everybody come under the Jewish law and Paul trying to tell him, no, hey, these are Gentiles and God's grace is the same for every man. There's no difference in Jew, Gentile, and Greek. We're all the same in God's eye. You're either saved or you're lost. You're a sinner or you're not a sinner. You go and you're saved, you're not. Paul just expressed it very clearly. And you know what? Peter understood it. And it made him stronger. And then he was able to write a couple of little letters later on in his life that did what? Exactly what God, Jesus had told him to do before he went to the cross. He said, when you're converted, what? Strengthen the brethren. And because of that difficulty, because of the problem, and because Paul was willing to face Peter on that problem, in that issue, in the church, you know what? It made him stronger. And it enabled Peter then to write and strengthen the brethren, and encourage the saints that were scattered. So problems come, things happen, difficulties are there, but we use those things to bring us together 
and to build us and make us stronger, not to tear us apart. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 16, talks about the unifying and us being uh, coming together. Everything God does or allows is designed to point us to Christ and to bring us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the Lord today? Are you close to Him today? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? It may be that you're going through something in life you don't understand, you don't know why. It may be because God's trying to reveal Himself to you. He's trying to let you know, hey, there's something bigger out here than what you're thinking about. A relationship with God is more than signing a card, getting dunked in the tank, and sitting on a church pew every Sunday for 40 years. That's not being saved. That's not, that's not knowing for sure that you're going to heaven when you die. That's relationship stuff. And that's, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and Jesus is the only one who can save me. Will you save me? He said, if you call on him, he'll save you. It's that simple. It ain't no set, it ain't no set of words you got to say. You ain't got to close your eyes and hold my hand. You ain't got to kneel on the bench up here. All you have to do is acknowledge the fact that you're a sinner and you need a Savior, and you tell him that, and you know what? He said he'd save you. It's that simple. It's as simple a child can do it. Do you know him today? And if you do know him today, are you close to him? How close are you living to the Lord today? Because everything that he allows into our life is designed to make us to draw us closer to him. Instead of, instead of going and fretting and wondering and worrying, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to make next week's bills? How am I going to get over this sickness? How am I going to... You ain't. But God. But God. God does things so that he can bring us closer to him. Let's bow our heads. As she begins to play, Mark's going to come and he's going to prepare to lead us in a hymn of invitation. And you take just a moment and let God speak to your heart. How well do you know him? How close to him are you today? As God spoke to your heart, we're just going to take just a minute and let you come here and maybe tell the Lord how much you love him that you want to be closer to him. Just find strength. He said there in Hebrews 4 that if we come to the throne, there's mercy and grace that's available. There's a coming involved. If you come this morning, God will give you more grace. He'll give you the mercy. He'll give you the answers. He'll give you the strength that you need to overcome whatever it is that's going on in your life. He wants you to be closer to Him. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word, thankful for what it teaches us, God. I pray this morning, Lord, the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts, that, God, You would just encourage us as Your people to draw closer to You each and every day. God, if there's one here that doesn't know you, Lord, let today be the day that they decide to accept you into their life.
And Lord, let, let them trust you for their eternity, for their salvation. God, if there's some here today, Lord, they've been walking, but they're like Peter. They've just been a little far off. God, help them to draw closer to you today. Lord, help any of us that just want to be closer. Lord, just come find a place and get up close to you for these next few minutes in the altar. Let you love on us and strengthen us and encourage us. Help us out of the fatigue and the syndrome that we sometimes get in. Lord, we'll give you praise for what you do. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed. As Mark sings, you obey God. Nobody's looking. You just come. Have your private time with the Lord. Father, we're so grateful that we can come home to you at any time and in any place. It doesn't have to be in this building at this altar. So God, we pray as we leave here today, if somebody doesn't have things settled in their heart, Lord, maybe their salvation is not settled or, or their relationship with you is not in the place it needs to be. God, just give them the courage to find me or someone else they could trust in. Lord, let us just find a place together to sit down and look at your word. Help them, Lord, with whatever it is that might be troubling. Thank you that we can come at any time. Now, Lord, thank you for these that have come today to worship you and to hear your word. I pray, God, that you'd just strengthen us and encourage us as we leave here today. Lord, help us to go into the time of fellowship around the table, Lord, and enjoy uh, just to, to visit, Lord, and to fellowship with one another. Thank you for the opportunity we have to do that, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you'll just bless the food. Thank you for providing it for us. May you add your blessing to it as we partake of it in just a little while. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you don't know, fellowship is to my left, your right, in the next building downstairs. So if you just go out and go down this hallway, out that door, and down the sidewalk, you'll find it. Or, you know, the easiest way to say it is follow the crowd. You know. But we want everybody to stay. There's plenty of food down there to eat. We've already prayed for it. So you get down there, uh, and as soon as they're ready to serve it, you part.